Turn with me to the book of Lamentations as the sheets are going out there. Let me ask you, what does Lamentations mean? Now, I don't ask you these questions just for the sake of it. I ask you these questions to try and put thoughts in your head so you understand some things. Okay. Uh, something to do with sorrow. Lamentations means weeping. So the book of Lamentations is a book of weeping. Now, some of you bright s- s- scholars, what are they weeping over? Jeremiah is writing the book. What is he weeping over? Okay. Um, but that's definitely part of it. <clears throat> Anybody help there with that? What are, what are they weeping over? Vincent. Pardon? Okay, the judgment of God on Jerusalem. Jerusalem has fallen uh, because of sin, and um, the the enemy has come in, and they have destroyed it. The nation is going into captivity, um, and Jerusalem is a rubble heap at this point, and Jeremiah is sitting in the middle of it, and he's weeping. He's just weeping over the nation, the nation he loves, the city he loves, the people have been um, slaughtered, abused, taken into slavery. Uh, His nation is gone. So he is is weeping. Uh, He is really distraught over it. Right? And in the middle of this book of weeping, Jeremiah says this. Now look, it's on your sheet there, so just look at it on your sheet. He says, this I recall to my mind, therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul, therefore will I hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord." That's a word of prayer, and then we'll just tease this out a little. Father, would you bless us as we look to your word tonight? And Lord, would you help us to lay hold upon truth that will quieten and strengthen our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. So, first of all, here he is in the midst of all this torture and turmoil. He says, this I recall to mind. What he does is he brings truth to mind because he's he's in chaos. Everything around him is chaos. His emotions are in turmoil. He's weeping, and he brings something to mind. Now, what we're looking at as we go through the series is we're looking just at that top. The things that we bring to mind that are going to quiet our noisy souls. What are we going to bring to mind? Now, one of the things that we need to bring to mind is this, beholding God's faithfulness. We serve a faithful God. We serve a God who can be trusted and depended upon no matter how bad the situation looks, no matter how bad our circumstances are, we serve a God who is faithful and can be trusted and can be depended upon. And we need to bring that to mind because that doesn't automatically come to our minds <clears throat> when we're weeping uh, inconsolably. But so, so, so Jeremiah has to bring it to mind. He has to bring these thoughts, these truths to mind, right? <clears throat> this I recall to mind, therefore have I hope. So in the midst of the turmoil, of the heartache, of the chaos, Jeremiah has hope. Now, if you're going to quiet your noisy soul, you're going to have to have hope. And you're not going to get hope from your circumstances. And you're not necessarily going to get hope from other people. 
But when you recall who God is and what God is, then you can have hope. But you have to recall who God is for you to have hope. And he says, it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. You know, it's not quite as bad as it looks. I'm still here. There's a lot of people still here in spite of all that's gone on. It's of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed. Now, think about it for a second. Should you be here tonight? What if God were to deal with you according to his righteous holiness? Would you be here tonight? Somebody said, what if you were God? Would the rest of us be here? (laughs) You know, the reality is, you know, we wouldn't. It's of his mercies that we're not consumed. Because his compassions fail not. Now, it's very hard for us to imagine this, but in spite of the fact that we cut across God's holiness so often, before we're saved and even after we're saved, his compassions fail not. He's still compassionate toward us. You know, if somebody hurts you once, well, you may have compassion on them. If they hurt you twice, you may have compassion on them. But if they consistently hurt you, your compassion is going to fail. But God's doesn't. God's compassion doesn't fail. My compassion, they fail not there. His compassion, they fail not there. New every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. God's faithfulness is great. Now, <clears throat> one of the key things we need to understand about God is he is faithful. Now, You you know, if you think about it, nothing in life is faithful. Everything changes. Every single thing changes. The seasons change. You know, you, you grow old. You know, we change. Everything changes. You know, if you know somebody for 10 years, they're a different person after the, at the end of the 10 years than they were at the beginning of the 10 years. You know, everything changes. Not all bad, but, but it changes. There's very little that you can actually put your hand on and say, I know that that's going to stay, stay the same. You know, <clears throat> even you look around uh, the city of Dublin, it changes. It changes so much. You know, <clears throat> um, my brother-in-law Frank is, uh, is home because his dad is ill and he's, and he's over in the Matter Hospital. And he says this, he's, I don't know Dublin. Now listen, Frank used to know Dublin really well. But he's lived out of the country now for 14 years, so he doesn't know Dublin anymore because it's changed that much. And that's, that's the way it is. Everything changes. But you know what? <clears throat> God is faithful. He doesn't change. You can depend upon him to be exactly the same forever. Now, that's good news. We need something we can depend upon. Let's continue on, though, with our verse. <clears throat> the Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Now, what's he saying? He's saying, look, I have nothing in Jerusalem. It's a wreck and a ruin. They're going to to cart everybody off, and I'm going to be left here, and ultimately he's going to get carted off to Egypt against his will. Uh, But, you know, there's nothing here that I can depend upon. Everything I thought was safe and secure is gone. But the Lord is my portion. I'm okay. Because the Lord is my portion. Remember, this is what he's recalling to mind in the midst of his, of, of, of his trial. <clears throat> Therefore will I hope in him. I'm going to hope in him. 
The Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. Now, <clears throat> here's the thing. If, if, if you're looking for something secure that you can rest in, that you can depend upon, that you can trust in, then the Lord is it. And it says, He is good to them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. What's the opposite of waiting for God? What do we do instead of waiting for God? When? We rush ahead. We make it happen. Don't we? What we do is we make it happen for ourselves. Now, why do we make it happen for ourselves? Because we think we know better than God. Because we think we've got a better idea. Because we think God really doesn't understand the situation. We've got a host of reasons why we make things happen that we know God doesn't want us to do. But we make things happen, <clears throat> you know, instead of waiting on him. But what, what Jeremiah is saying here is, the Lord is good to them that wait for him. Sitting in the midst of the, the, the rubble of Jerusalem, I mean, if I was Jeremiah, I'd be thinking, okay, well, I mean, this, this, this prophet bit, you know, this has kind of, kind of come to a gr- ground to a halt. Wasn't much of a job anyway. They never liked me. Uh, you know, they, didn't, they never did anything I told them to do. Uh, they fought against me all the way. Uh, but I'll tell you what, it's over now. I need a new plan, Stan. I need to make a new life for myself here because you know what? <clears throat> this is a whole different world now. I, but you know what he's saying? He's saying, no. He's saying, the Lord is good to them that wait for him. I'm going to wait for God. Now, by the way, this is not the purpose of our, of our story, but do you know that the enemy coming into Jerusalem says, hey, that's Jeremiah. Let's look after him. What do you want to do, Jeremiah? Do you want to come with us? We'll take you back to Babylon and we'll set you up in a nice place. Or do you want to stay here? You choose. Whatever you like. Now, the enemy's going to look after God's man. Amazing. But he waited on God. The Lord is good to them that wait on him, to the soul that seeketh him. You see, if you're going to quieten your noisy soul, you can't quieten your noisy soul by rearranging the circumstances around you. Jeremiah doesn't say, okay, it doesn't matter, we can rebuild. We'll put it all back together again, we'll rebuild the city of Jerusalem. No, it's beyond that, it's way beyond that. It's been, it's been laid to rubble. It's, there's no way. He doesn't, he doesn't say, oftentimes that's what we do. We want to get ourselves back together and make it happen, and we're going to work it out ourselves. And um, <clears throat> he says, no. Wait on God. Seek him. His compassions fail not. He is faithful. He is good to them that wait on him and that seek him. So he's sitting amidst the rubbish heap, and he's saying, no, God's going to take care of me. I'll be okay. God's going to take care of me. Doesn't he remind you of Job? Everything's gone. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He'll take care of me. And I tell you what, that takes guts, doesn't it? That takes steel in your backbone. To actually wait on God in the moment when it looks like it's all collapsing and it's all a mess and you should walk away. To seek God and to wait on God. <clears throat> Listen, that, that, that really uh, takes guts. It is good for a man, it, it is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. There's our word. Quieting a noisy soul. I mean, you can wait in turmoil sometimes, can't you? 
Your, 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 your heart and your head are all over the place and you're bouncing from one thing to the other and you're saying, oh, I want to wait on God, but I don't feel anything good. And he says, no, it's good for a man that he learn to quietly wait. Now, if you're going to quietly wait for God, you have to have not just a theoretical knowledge of his faithfulness, but you have to come to the place where you can depend upon him. I can depend upon God. Now, if you think about it, what can you depend upon in life? Nothing. But you can depend upon God. But what we've got to do is we've got to learn to actually do that. Depend upon his faithfulness. He will do what he says he will do. Always. He will be what he says he is. Always. Right? <clears throat> if God says... <clears throat> That he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Then that means he will always reward them that diligently seek him. Always. Now, <clears throat> you see, if you have in your mind, well, I know that's what it says. But I'm not so sure. You're never going to have a quiet soul. You won't quiet your noisy soul. You need to bring your, your, your thinking needs to come back. You need to recall to mind and bring back your thinking to the place where you're actually trusting God for who he is. And one of those issues is faithfulness. Jim Burke has a great story, <clears throat> great illustration that he, uh, that he used. He learned how to, how to fly a plane at one point, And um, <clears throat> it was a lot, long time ago, obviously. But <clears throat> in the plane they had uh, what he called... Um, a, a DG, and it was a directional gyroscope. You had, they had a, a, a compass, but the compass would bounce around on the plane, but the directional gy- gyroscope would move very slowly and would give you, an, give you a solid idea of where you were going. The problem with it, though, was your directional gyroscope would actually go off after a while, and it would be a few degrees off. So what, what pilots would do is, uh, at the end of the runway, when they, before they would take off, written on the runway was the... the, the, the um, uh, degrees they, they were at, like it was 360 degrees, it was written on it. They would reset their gyroscope before they took off. Well, uh, as he was learning, he, he kept forgetting to do that, so his instructor decided to have some fun with him one day. And as they were taking off, uh, he turned around to look, look down at the ground, and the, uh, his instructor set the thing off by 20 degrees. All right, now, he's flying back to somewhere. He doesn't know he's 20 degrees off. So before he, realized, before he knows it, he's, you know, none, of the, none of the places he's supposed to be able to see could he see. He has a map that shows him what's coming up uh, along the ground, and he can't see anything of it. And so he resets his coordinates, and he, but again, he's lost again. And um, after a while, uh, he notices the guys begin to chuckle uh, because he keeps getting lost, and he's panicking completely about it now. And the guy says to him, uh, here's what I did. I wanted to help you get a handle on resetting your gyroscope. So what I did was I, I, I reset it for you. And he said it worked. He never, he never, he never failed to, to reset it again. He always set it right. Now, here's the purpose of the illustration. Life, sin, people, things, happenings will all tend to move your perception of who God is off. And you need to come back to the Scriptures and find there your picture of God. You need to recall to mind who he is from the scriptures. 
not what you're thinking is not what people are saying about him but you need to come back to the scriptures and recall your picture of who god is that's why we need to have devotions every day it's not because you know god is lonely up in heaven and he desperately needs to hear from you that's that's not why the reason you need to have devotions is because you need to bring yourself back in line with who god is and don't you don't just sense it you know that when you as you as you read the scriptures your heart goes ah oh, this is who he is and you know you can have your own little play going on in this direction but when you come back to the scriptures this is who god is and what god does is god keeps bringing you back to the place where you can see him for who he is and know him and understand him and you need to keep coming back there because if you don't you'll go off in your thinking now one of the things we need to have rock solid in our hearts is this our god is a faithful god he will always be what he says he is he will always do what he says he will do if he gives you a promise listen you can go to sleep and you can be certain he will follow it through but we got to understand his faithfulness and we got to reckon on his faithfulness right <clears throat> so what does it mean when we say that god is faithful faithfulness is a subset of immutability unchangeable god doesn't change uh, <clears throat> Scriptural testimony. Let's let's read some scripture here. Well, <clears throat> where will we start this time? I think we start over this side. We we'll start on this side, right, guys? You ready? Ready to go? Right now. If you don't, if somebody doesn't want to read it, just pass it over to the guy beside him, and he'll read it for you. Okay? Okay. Deuteronomy seven verse nine. Everybody, look at these, right? Deuteronomy seven verse nine. Okay, BJ, you read, read it for us, will you? Okay, God is faithful. How, how long will God be faithful for? To a thousand generations. How long is a thousand generations? That's a long time, isn't it? 25 years to a generation, that's 25,000 years. That's longer than the world's been around. God says that he will be faithful to a thousand generations. So here's the thing. By the way, this, this, is, this, is, this is real fun to think about, right? Listen, if you honor God in your life, you can expect blessing to go way beyond your life. When God promises to bless the generations that are coming down, listen, you can expect him to do that in your life. God's able to do it. He's able to carry it through because he is a faithful God. He's faithful enough to do it for as long as the world shall last. All right. <clears throat> Psalm 102, 25 through 27. Remember, anyone that doesn't feel comfortable, just pass it over. Psalm 102. Verse 25 through 27. Okay, great, right? <clears throat> um, 
listen, when you put your foot on the ground, doesn't it feel very solid to you? In fact, of all the things in life, the earth is the most solid. You know, it's there. I mean, it's kind of, you know, you, you can stomp your foot on it, you can jump on it, it's there. You always expect it to be there. That's why I, must, I, I think it must be absolutely terrifying to live through an earthquake when the earth shakes or, or when the earth opens. I think that's, that's kind of terrifying. You see these, um, uh, what do they call these sinkholes that are that, that, that come on the, I mean, that would have to be terrifying. You know, if, the, if the ground opened up and people, things just started falling into it, right? Um, because we expect it to be solid. We expect, we, it's permanent. It's the ultimate permanent, isn't it? We build little bits and pieces on it, but they all fall down, but it stays. Now, see what God says about this, right? Um, They shall perish, but thou shalt endure. The earth's going to perish, but God's going to endure. Yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment. Like a piece of clothing. You know, when I buy a piece of clothes, I kind of expect for it to last forever. And Val decides it hasn't lasted forever, and she kind of... Uh, it encourages me to get rid of things. I, right? But, you know, clothes don't last forever, do they? Clothes have this ability to wear out, and you kind of, you look at them one day, and you know, and you, you enjoyed wearing that, and all of a sudden it's, it's over. It's, and you take it and you throw it off. Right? Well, now, here's what God is saying. The world is like a piece of clothing to God. He just made it, and he'll cast it off, and he's done with it. He's permanent. It's not. He's unchangeable. It's not. It changes. It will ultimately, even the most solid things in our lives, listen, they're going to perish, but he won't. But thou art the same, and thy years have no end. Listen, worlds and universes can come and go, and God will stay the same. God will say, nothing of it's going to change him. Nothing is going to change him. He is faithful. He has changed us. All right. <clears throat> Numbers 23, verse 19. Okay. So he's not a man that he says, God doesn't lie. Right? <clears throat> now, by the way, why do we lie? Why do people lie? We lie because you were afraid. We lie to get us out of trouble and so on. Um, <clears throat> and by the way, I was going through the gospel with a woman on the doors last night and asked her the question, has she ever told a lie? And she said, well, no, I didn't. Right? And here's the story she told me. She told me that, that in her house, lying was just, you, you couldn't lie. He said, her, she said, her father used to say, obviously drilled into her, right? Because she was uh, close to my age. Obviously drilled into her. And she's, she says this. He said, her father said, you can lock the door against a thief, but you can't do anything with a liar. <clears throat> and so that was drilled into them. <laughs> you know, so that it was worse, worse than being a thief. But God's not afraid of anything. He doesn't lie. He doesn't soften it to make you feel better. God never lies. If he says he's going to do it, he's going to do it. You know, <clears throat> he, he doesn't have kind of, you know, um, <clears throat> he, he doesn't come to the place where he says, you know, well, well, I said no, but you know what? And, uh, you know, they're putting so much pressure on me, I think I'll give in. No, he doesn't do that. God says he's doing it. He's doing it. God's word is absolutely solid. Now, that should terrify us on the one side and make us feel so happy on the other side. 
See, if God says he's going to do, if God says he's going to repay something by doing, by doing something in it, then he's going to do it. But if God says he's going to bless me, he's going to bless me. And I can be absolutely rock solid certain uh, about that. Um, <clears throat> something else I want to catch here, right? Or hath he spoken, and shall it not be made good? You see, God, when he speaks, he always brings it to pass. He always makes it happen. All right, um, Malachi 3, verse 6. Okay, I am the Lord. I change not. Now, by the way, context is important to us here. The book of Malachi. What's God doing in the book of Malachi? Who's he talking to? Israel. What's he saying to them? He's correcting them. If you read through the book of Malachi, he's correcting them. He's saying, you're doing this, and it's wrong, and I want you to do this. And you're doing this, and it's wrong, and I want you to do this. Right? Now, um, <clears throat> what he's saying to them in verse 6 here is he says, for I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, if I was to deal with you the way I should, I'd consume you. But I'm the Lord, and I change not. I made promises to Abraham. I'm going to keep them. Even though you don't deserve it, I'm still going to keep them because I made promises to Abraham. And oftentimes you see that. God, God refers back to the promise he made to Abraham generations ago. And he's going to keep it because he said he would keep it. He changes not. He doesn't lie. All right, James 1, verse 17. Okay. <clears throat> so everything comes down to the Father of lights with whom is no variableness. What would that mean? He doesn't change. You know, listen, here's the way we are, right? You know, we go for a nap in the afternoon on a Sunday and we wake up feeling grumpy. And we don't, we don't know why we're feeling grumpy, but we're just feeling grumpy. Now, it probably, to be honest, it has something to do with your sugars and all the rest of it, but it's you know, just, you feel grumpy, right? And you see, you vary, and you might have been in good mood, good mood when you went home from church, but by the time you wake up, you're grumpy. And you're a bit bothered with yourself because you don't know why you're grumpy. And... And you change. I know the people around you change all the time, don't they? And you know, and you, you never know what you're going to meet with people. Because we change for all kinds of reasons. All kinds of things hit us and change us. And we never know what we're going to meet. But you know what? <clears throat> there is no variableness in God. He's the same yesterday, today, forever. No variableness, no changing. You can depend upon God to be exactly who he said he is. You don't have to wonder, what's his mood like today? Oh, I hope he's in a good mood. You don't have to wonder because the reality is he is always the same. There's no variableness, neither shadow of turning. There's nothing about God that turns or changes. He is the same. Now, that's really important to us. You see, if God were to change uh, in any way, that would mean that it would have to change for the better or for the worse. 
How could God change for the better? It's impossible. He's perfect. How could he change for the worse? I can't do that either. Now, by the way, catch this, right? <clears throat> because I think oftentimes God speaks to his children, and we're not entirely happy with what he says, so, so we want him to change. Just fudge it, God. Just let it slip by. Just, come on, I know, I know that's what you said, but you know what, listen, come on. Lighten up. It's a tough world, tough life. Just, just let this one slip by. And if God were looking at you, he would look at you blankly and say, I told you what I was doing. What are you asking me for? Remember Moses? Moses <clears throat> struck the rock and God um, <clears throat> rebukes him and says he's not going into the, going into the promised land. And, and Moses comes to God and, and you know, it's coming close to the time and he, and, he, you know, and he really wants to go into the promised land. His whole life's been, you know, he, his whole life's been walking towards the promised land. And God's told him he's not going to go in. And, and so he says, God, God, won't you let me go in? And God says to him, no, don't bring it up again. That's, that's, that's what God says to him. I told you what I'm doing, don't bring it up again. Now, <clears throat> look, we would do well to understand that when God speaks into our lives and says, this is what I'm doing, we would say, well, thank you, Lord. And stop trying to shift. Now, there are things that God will change, and there are things that are legitimate for us to ask God to change. But when God says, this is what I'm doing, we, we do well to say, okay, thank you, Lord. Right? <clears throat> Apostle Paul, but he's thorn in the flesh. Three times he asked God to change. God says, my grace is sufficient for you, for the, <clears throat> my strength is made perfect in weakness. And Paul says, great, I'm accepting it. What would have happened if Paul had said, well, I know that God, but would you not just this once? Would you not just let me out the hook? You know, I, I, I'm a good servant. What would have happened at that point? Now, let me hear you. Your theology kicks in here now. What would have happened at that point? What would God have done? Okay, it rains on Paul to keep him in check, right? So, so what could God have done? God had two choices there, right? God had told Paul what he was doing and why he was doing it and how it was helpful to Paul. Right? But if Paul had kept chafing at it, would God have changed his mind about it? Said, well, you know what, maybe, it, maybe, maybe he doesn't need it. Why would God ever change his mind? Now, I know you're going to say, but there are times in the Bible when the Bible says the Lord repenteth. But, I mean, I know God changes, but free will and everything comes into that. Right? Why would God change his mind about what he said to Paul? Would it be because Paul kind of overcame the issue and didn't need the help? No, because he knew Paul wasn't going to do that. So why would he change? He wouldn't change his thinking on it. But let's say Paul kept asking. Could he say, okay, I'll take it away? Sometimes he does. Sometimes he does. 
But it's not the best thing. You see, what Paul got from God was God's best. But Paul pushing it and getting something else from God would not have been the best. I'll give you an example. For instance, in the Bible, King Hezekiah. King Hezekiah, God <clears throat> sends the prophet to tell him, listen, you're going to die. Uh, settle up things, you're going to die. <clears throat> this is it. And Hezekiah turns his face to the wall and he cries and he weeps and he asks God to give him more years. And God gives him another 15 years. Now, if Hezekiah had died the first time God said he was going to die, he had a wonderful testimony he left behind. But you know what? By the time he gets, gets around to dying the second time, that's the, that's the appropriate way to go. He's made a total mess of it. He has made a total mess of the thing. He's just kind of, he's, he's marred the whole thing completely. And you say, well, should he not have asked? I don't know. But here's, here's what you need to understand. God knows best. Be very careful. Be very careful when you press God for something. Because sometimes he'll give it to you, but it won't be the best thing for you. You see, God, God knows what's best in the situation. And when he lays something out, it's the best thing. Now, it's not, this is the best I can do. God never does the best he can do. God does the best. This is the best. Right? When God gives us his best, it's really silly for us to try and change his mind like we know better than him. Really what makes sense for us is to say, okay, Lord, if that's the best thing, then, like Paul, okay, okay, if that's the way it is, then I'm, go I'm going to rejoice in it. I'm going to glory in my infirmities. <clears throat> because when I am weak, then I am strong. <clears throat> you see, Paul catches what God is doing, and really, you know, that, <clears throat> that's the, the, the indication for us, whether we really want the will of God or whether we want the will of me. Because if the will of God is right, then I say, thank you, Lord. And I rejoice in it. But if it's the will of me, I say, oh, well, I know, but, you know, I, I, I really think this would be better. I think this would be better. Well, would you not do this for me? I think this would be better. And even if, and, you know, God doesn't always do that, but even if you were able to persuade him, what you'd be getting would be not the best. Because God gives you the best. You see, God is compassionate and God is merciful and God doesn't destroy us because we do wrong. But when we do wrong, it's not the best. When we press them and do something our own way, it's not the best for us. It would be a whole lot better for us to say, now Lord, listen, I'm dumb as dumb can be and you're wise as all can be. Lord, you tell me what you want for my life because I, I don't know. Lord, you show me what's best because I have no idea. I'll follow it, Lord, with your help. But Lord, you show me because I don't, I don't want my own way. But we have this huge contention where we're looking for our own way and we have a faithful God who knows what's best and shows us what's best and we want to second guess him and go our own way and do our own thing. And oftentimes, if God won't give it, what we'll do is we'll push it and make it happen. And then you know what we say? We say, how could it happen if God didn't do it? 
God could have stopped it, but he didn't stop it. Listen, that's rubbish thinking. You have a free will. You can do whatever you like. I mean, you can walk out there under a bus, right? And say to yourself, okay, well, God's in charge of when I die, so you know what? A bus can't kill me because you don't know when it's God's time for you to die. It might just be God's time for you to die right then. You know, don't second-guess God. Don't put God in the place where, you know, where, you know, in your own thinking, in your own mind, you're looking for something other than what he wants for you. What you want is his will, and then you want to follow it as best you can by his power. All right. Okay, so God doesn't change. It's not possible uh, to change absolutely, absolute perfection. What makes God so unchangeable? God is unchangeable because he is the self-existent one. God is free from all causes. Right? Now, who did Moses, when Moses came to God and asked him, who will I say sent me? What did God tell him? I am that I am. Crazy statement. I am that I am. Nobody in the whole world could say I am that I am, except God. God can say it because he always existed. I just am. I didn't start. Don't live in times like you. I am. I just am. <clears throat> right? So God is free from all causes. God doesn't always exist in any cause. And he isn't depending upon anything to keep him existing. Let me ask, are you depending on anything to keep you existing? Be careful how you answer, right? Because if you say no and God says, okay, well, I'm just going to stop my, breath, my air here for you for a little minute, uh, you're finished. You are dependent every moment of every day on God for life. In whom we have our life and breath. The book of Acts I'm dependent upon him for everything. You can't do anything apart from God. We, we, we are completely incapable, apart from God, uh, of doing anything. We're not free from all causes. We're depending upon him. God's not depending on anybody. If the whole world decided, okay, that's it, we're finished with God. We're turning our back on him. We're not. Does that change God? Does he, does he need something? He doesn't need anything from us. Now, he's chosen fellowship with us, which is incredible for somebody who doesn't need anything. Because most people who choose fellowship with you choose because they have a need in their lives. But God chose fellowship with us even though he hadn't got any need. You know, God needs nothing. He's free from all causes. Nothing can push him to change. Anything God does, God does because he wants to do it. He never does anything that he doesn't want to do. That alone, that thought alone is kind of, is heady. Because for creatures such as us, we, we can't really understand that. God is also unchangeable because he is the infinite one. Now, this really is a, is a mind-bender for us. He's infinite. What does it mean? Well, it means he has no beginning and he has no end, but it means much more than that. You know, <clears throat> he never runs out. It's impossible for him to run out of anything in his life. 
He's got it all. Now, listen, we just don't understand that at all, right? Listen, you fill up the car with diesel or with petrol, and, you know, I guarantee you, before you know it, that little thing is going to be on E, and you'll have to fill it up again. You buy washing powder for the washing machine. You buy the biggest box of washing powder you can, and you're still going to run out of the washing powder. Everything in life is like that. We're always going to run out of it. We're always going to come up short. We're always going to come up where we need to replenish stuff because that's who we are. God never comes up short. We see some things about God. We say, well, God ran out of patience with him. God never runs out of anything, including patience. God doesn't act in your life because you go, oh, that's a thing. Listen, oh, I'm, I'm telling you what, you've been annoying me now for six weeks, that's it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sort this. He doesn't run out of patience. God acts on purpose, always. It's always planned. It's always planned. He acts on purpose. He knows what's coming up, he knows what's happening, and he's got a plan. <clears throat> you know, and, you know, our finite minds can't encompass what the plan is, but he's got a plan. So he's always acting on purpose in your life. You see, God is unchangeable. He never runs out of He never runs out of love. He never comes to the end of his love. I am fed up loving them because they, they're just so annoying. He never does that. That, that one never happens. And so, so, you know, understand this. It's not that he runs out of something. If God does something hard in your life, he does it on purpose because it's the best thing for you. Because he's infinite. He's got his hands on all of it, always. He only does what's best because he loves. You're never going to find a case where God just, listen, he ran out. And he was too busy at the time, and he just missed it. And that's why, you know, when people say these things that want to get God off the hook, you know, some, some dreadful catastrophe happens, and they say, well, we've got to say that God wasn't involved in this at all. That's That's, that's wicked. That is wicked because God never, nothing has ever happened that God was not able to stop. Nothing. He's infinite. He can reach all of it and he can touch all of it. So why does it matter to us that God is faithful? Without a clear view of his faithfulness, you you will have little testimony for God. You will be plagued by sins you cannot overcome. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. Who can quote it for me? Well, you can read it then, right? Who's going to read it for me? Chris, you're going to read it? Okay, all right, we know there's a devil out there. We know there are demons out there, and we know they love to nail us to the floor. And we know they're very much more powerful than us, and they could. What characteristic of God does that verse say we're depending upon to know that that will never happen? They will never be unleashed on us. They will never be unleashed on us in their full power. What are we depending upon? The verse tells us, God is faithful. He will not suffer you to be tempted. 
Now, understand this, that when you feel like, oh, this is too much, I can't bear this, I can't do right and live with this. No, 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 God is faithful. He won't allow you to be tempted above that which you're able. First Corinthians 1 verse 9, who can quote that for us? Sorry, sorry, not First Corinthians, First John 1 verse 9. I'll start you off. If we confess our sin, okay, I can come to him with my sins and I know he will cleanse me of my sin because he is faithful. He is faithful and I can depend upon him. Now you see, here's the problem for me. If I don't have a grip on God's faithfulness, I'll be going around wondering, did he really forgive it? Well, you know, I'm not sure, you know. I don't feel very forgiven. I don't look any different. You know, <clears throat> I'll be going around, I'll not, not be sure I'm forgiven. But he is faithful. I'm not faithful. You're not faithful, but he is. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So you know what? When it comes to me and, and, and there's sin between God and, and me, you know what? I confess the sin and He is faithful to forgive it and to cleanse me of all unrighteousness. So here's how that works. Right? You do wrong. You come to God and you say, Lord, I'm sorry that was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. That's, Lord, you died to save me and I shouldn't have done that. that, that there's no excuse for it, Lord. Lord, will you forgive me? What happens at that moment? He forgives you. So <clears throat> you come back to God afterwards and you say to God, you know what, I still feel bad about that. God said, what do you feel bad about? I've forgiven it and I've cleansed you. It's done. <clears throat> he is faithful to forgive us. Okay, um, <clears throat> let's move along here. B, you may be unsure of your salvation and forgiveness of sins. We just covered that one in 1 John 1 verse 9. C, you can easily be discouraged by loneliness. What does Hebrews 30, 13 verse 5 tell us about loneliness? Look there, real quick. I will never leave you nor forsake you. But, but we looked at the verse here um, <clears throat> a little while ago, so, so let's look at it again here. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Do you know that covetousness gets in the way and gives us a noisy soul? It doesn't matter what somebody else has. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if somebody else got more than you. That doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if somebody's got more money than you. It doesn't matter if somebody's got a better relationship than you. It doesn't matter if somebody's got, you know, <clears throat> more brains than you, more beauty than you. It doesn't matter. Now, why doesn't it matter? Because you've got me, God says. I will never leave you nor forsake you. You've got everything you need in me. God says, <clears throat> don't worry. And really covetousness, I'm not satisfied, I want more, is saying, yeah, God, I know, but you're not enough. And that's a failure to understand who it is we're dealing with, because he's more than enough. 
God says, you've got me. you got all you need. You're okay. I, <clears throat> you can easily be discouraged by your own failures. 2 Timothy 2, verse 13. Next person, read that for us. Who's next? Okay. <clears throat> um, we fail. And here's what happens to us when we fail. We put God on the same plane as we are. What do you do when somebody fails you? Right? That's it. Not trusting them again. I'm telling you what. <clears throat> you know, uh, I put my confidence in them and, and they failed me and I'll tell you what, that's it. I'm not trusting them again. Right? So what do we do when we fail God? Well, that's the way he is. He's just like me. You know, <clears throat> he's not going to trust me now. I mean, sure, he trusted me and I blew it. Why, why would he trust me now? Right? And what we're doing is we're putting God on the same plane as we are. And he says, listen, you may fail. You will fail. But God is faithful. God is faithful. He will still do right by you, even though you do wrong by him. <clears throat> okay, E, you can be tortured by fear of what is going to happen. Look at Psalm 121, verse 8. Somebody read it for us. Okay. Um, here's the deal. We don't know what's going to happen, and we're fearful about it. I mean, that, that's, a huge, that's part of the human condition. You know, uh, it's not enough for us to have the problems of today. We want to worry about the problems of tomorrow. I, and we're concerned about them. We're, we're frustrated and concerned about them. By the way, paganism is full of that fear. You guys, the pagan gods are not faithful. You can read through the story of the stories of the pagan gods. I mean, go, go through them and and um, <clears throat> any of them you can think of. They're not faithful. They're not faithful to their wives. They're not faithful to their families. They are capricious. They, they get mad. They do crazy things. You know, <clears throat> and really, if you were if you were a happy little pagan and life was okay, you would stay as far away from the gods as you possibly could. Because if they got going in your life. You had no idea what they were going to do. Right? <clears throat> so you only got them involved when you really thought there was a problem. The rest of the time, you tried to keep them happy so they'd stay off your back and they wouldn't notice you. Because they weren't faithful. But you know what? We have a God who is faithful and knows what's going to happen. And we can trust him. We can depend upon him. We have a faithful God. So even though you may not know, listen... Your God knows, and you can trust him. <clears throat> Without a, a clear view of his faithfulness, you will have little trust for God. Now, understand this. We're dealing with a completely different character than human beings here. And the problem for us is that much of our theology comes this way to us. In other words, I learn from people who God is. No, you don't learn from people who God is. People are not faithful. God is. And we need to learn who he is because we're going to have very little trust for God if he's like a person. If God is like your father, no matter how good your father was, you're going to have very little trust for God. But he's not. He's faithful. Listen, you can ask God a question today and he'll give you an answer. And you can ask him the same question in 100 years and he'll give you the same answer. 
And in a thousand years, they'll give you the same answer. In a million years, they'll give you the same answer. Because he doesn't change. He's faithful. Now, that should really help us. In <clears throat> rebels that we are, though, we want to change his mind, don't we? We want to change his mind, turn his thinking around. And we keep throwing ourselves at, no, no, no. Listen, whatever God says is true and it's the best thing, accept it. Get on with your life. You, you say, does God put restrictions on, on us? Yeah, sometimes he does for our good. David, David had restrictions for the rest of his life because he'd be sinned with Bathsheba. For the rest of his life, he never, he, I don't think he ever had a day when he didn't say, I wish I had never done that. I don't think he ever had a day. But you know what? God didn't stop loving him. God didn't stop caring about him. God was faithful. God was faithful to carry out what he said he would do, and God was faithful to take care of David. <clears throat> we understand, listen, our God is a faithful God. Now, if we don't see him as a faithful God, his promises will have little impact upon you. Isn't that true? We read the promise in the word of God, and our hearts stir. And we say, oh, that's great. But really, for me? Really? I mean... That, that's, that's too good. I mean, I like it, but it's too good. And what we do is be, we don't accept the faithfulness of God, and therefore we don't accept his promises. But he's faithful. If he promises it, he will do it. You can be absolutely certain. Listen, the banks may fail, but God won't. The government may fall, but God won't. People may die, but God won't fail. When he promises you something, he will do it. <clears throat> you can be sure. And your prayer life will have little impact. Listen, if we do not have a God who is faithful, who is able to answer our prayers and faithful, why would we pray to him? We need his promises. <clears throat> My soul can rest because God's faithfulness is more than enough for me. He's faithful. I'm okay. I'm in safe hands. I can trust him. I can depend upon him. My soul can rest. Let us pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you, Lord, for your people. And, oh, Lord, most of all, we thank you for your great faithfulness. Now, blessed Spirit of the living God, would you work in our hearts and help us, Lord, not just to learn head knowledge, Lord, but may it be received in our hearts, may it be real to us, and Lord, may we spiritually know you to be a faithful God. And Lord, I'm sure that in this room there are a whole bunch of misconceptions Lord, that are caused by people, by parents, by other authorities in our lives about you. Lord, would you by the power of your spirit, Lord, knock them to one side and help us to understand fully and truly that you are indeed faithful. In Jesus' precious name, amen.